we are continuing in Acts. Uh, this morning, I'm going to round out um, Acts 22 and get into Acts 23. And of course, in the craziness of the morning, what did I forget at home? My Bible. So I am very grateful that we have these little tools. So no, I am not text messaging through the message. I wish I could multitask that well, but um, I cannot. Uh, so we're going to, st- oh, and what version is this? You can tell I was doing research this week because it was like the super amplified version. No, I'm, I know that's, there's a, way too many parentheticals in that too. Yeah, oh, so much, just so much in that. So I'll switch back to my trusty ESV. Okay, so last week, Jonathan talked about Paul and permissive will versus perfect and divine will. And was Paul acting in his own conscience, thinking he was following God's will, when really he was just kind of doing his own thing and God was like, all right. So we're going to dive a little deeper into providence today. But let's, let's start uh, with the word. So this is Acts 22, verse 30. Paul before the council. But on the next day, desiring to know the real reason why he was being accused by the Jews, he unbound him and commanded the chief priests and all the council to meet. He brought Paul down and set him before them. Now we're into 23. And looking intently at the council, Paul said, Brothers, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. And the high priest, Ananias, commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God is going to strike you, you whitewash wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law, and yet contrary to the law you order me to be struck? Those who stood by said, would you revile God's high priest? And Paul said, I didn't know, brothers, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, brothers, I am a Pharisee. It is with respect to the hope and the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial. And when he said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. For the Sadducees say that there is no resurrection, nor angel, nor spirit, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all. Then a great clamor arose. Whenever I read that, I can't help but think of the night before Christmas. There arose such a clamor. Holy Spirit's coming to town, not Santa Claus. Okay. So there arose a clamor, and some of the scribes of the Pharisees' party stood up and contended sharply, we find nothing wrong in this man. 
what if a spirit or an angel spoke to him? And when the dissension became violent, the tribune, afraid that Paul would be torn to pieces, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him away from among them by force and bring him to the barracks. The following night, the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so must you testify also in Rome. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the glorious sunshine. We thank you for getting us all here safely. And we thank you most of all for the word, Lord. Help us to learn exactly what you would have for us today and let every word that comes from my mouth be from you, not from me. In your son, Jesus Christ, amen. So my title today is God's Chess Moves. There's no real doctrinal truth in this chapter. It's more of a historical narrative and that kind of happens more and more as we finish Acts, but I got to nerd out on this a little bit, so I had a lot of fun preparing. A lot of what we're going to talk about today, like I said before, is providence, and the one definition of providence is the protective care of God as a spiritual power or timely preparation for future eventualities. So, Providence looks like a normal thing, but behind the scenes, something else different is being orchestrated by God. It's different from the miraculous. Because in a miracle, God is intervening in the natural law, like walking on water. The surface tension of water cannot hold up a grown human man. We've all tried to run on the water like, like Donald Duck, or, or Daffy Duck or, or any of those cartoons where you see him like, if you run fast enough, you can stay up for a little bit. That it's scientifically, it's not a thing. However, we know it happened and how it happened was God performed a miracle. Also, someone going for nine minutes without oxygen to their brain and having no neurological deficits, when they wake up from that and even joking in the ambulance, I think you've heard this story before and hate him, watching online, that's a miracle. So we've, we've seen miracles, some of us. Some of us have experienced miracles. But even those of us who haven't, we've all experienced providence. Miracles are talked about a lot by Christians and seekers of Christ alike, saying, oh, I need a miracle or I need to see X, Y, Z happen. That, and that may be true for about, oh gosh, a year and a half now, maybe close to two years now. We have been praying for a friend of this church. Her granddaughter has a horrific form of cancer, and we are praying for a miracle in that child's life because that's the only thing that's going to save this precious little princess now is is God intervening in the natural. So it's not wrong to pray or want miracles. However, providence is around us all the time, every day. And some people call these little miracles, but they're not. 
it's just providence. It's much more prevalent. It's not going to be quite as in your face when it's happening, but it's more so a process. And you can look back and say, oh, wow, God, you were in that. Even if you're not looking at things through the lens of providence, I bet you have a story in your history where one of the pivotal lines is, it just so happened. Kind of like the first weekend that Corey invited me to go to church with him. And I had been at a four-square church before, so I, I kind of knew, you know, like every four-square church is different, but there's, you know, I knew it wasn't going to be weird and wacky. So worship was fantastic, and we sit down, and this older guy in a plaid shirt comes out on stage, which I now know is the four-square male pastor uniform. You should come to Connection. It's a sea of plaid. And some of us even wear it too. Um, Anyway, guy in a plaid shirt comes out, sits down on a stool, and he starts talking. And I'm like, I know this. So I turned to Corey and I'm like, is this the pastor? What, What is he doing here? He's like, no, it's the drama team. Excuse me, what now? The drama team. Now, the reason I knew what this guy was saying was because this was a monologue that my best friend used to audition in college all the time. So I'd heard it a lot. But let's get back to this drama team thing. My degree is in musical theater. And my mom had always said, what are you going to do with a musical theater degree in eastern Washington. And in that moment, I knew this is what I'm going to do with my musical theater degree in Washington. And it just so happened that I was part of a church growing up that you filled out a Connect card every week. That's how they took attendance. So, like the good little girl I was, I filled out the Connect card and I got mail Corey's house because I used his address thinking they're not going to even think that I'm serious about wanting to get involved if I say I'm from Richland and we're in Yakima. So he calls me, you got mail at my house from my church. I've never gotten mail at my house at my church. Well, have you ever filled out the connect card? So the next week I meet the director of the drama team and that Wednesday I was at the drama team meeting. And I had no idea how informal it was. So they said, tell us about yourself. And I said, well, I have my degree in musical theater. And I I gave my resume. And two weeks later, they were like, so when you get married, do you want to take over this ministry? What? And I did. And that was my foot in the door to the calling that God has had on my life my whole life but it just so happened. It just so happened. One more providential story. It just so happened that when I was in high school, we got invited to Disneyland. 
to do some recording. At the time, it was called Magic Music Days. Today, it has a different name. That doesn't matter. But we got to go down and play in the park for a day. Then we recorded in the recording studio. And then the next day, we got to sing in the park. And it was a very magical event. Ask me sometime about the magic that got ruined for me the first day in the recording studio. There are little ears present, so I'm not going to spoil the magic. However, <laughs> what they did was they sent us a 10-page music piece to sing, but they left out the middle three pages on purpose because they used it as an educational tool for sight reading. So we get in there, and this is some intricate music. If you've ever listened to the background of the Disney choral singers, it's insane what they do with their voices. So they say, okay, we need one, maybe two people to sing the super high soprano part on this. And my director pointed at me. You've heard me sing. I am a second alto, sometimes tenor. And I've always been way more comfortable in my low range. But in that choir, we sang high. We, we sang different parts on every song. He wouldn't let us just be an alto. So we did it. And I hit it. And it just so happened that there was an extra producer in that recording studio that day. And as they were walking us out to where we would exit into the park again, they said, hey, what are you doing this summer? Are you a senior? Are you going to be 18 by this date? Do you want to come down and record with us? It just so happened that that's how my foot got in the door at Disney. Another way to think of it, has anybody ever seen the movie The Truman Show? I love that movie. Um, but there's someone in a control booth making sure that things are going well and that certain things are going to happen, even when Truman's like, I'm not going to do the same thing that I did yesterday. I'm going to go ahead and do this thing that I want to do. So the producers in the background going, oh, well, we got to do this. Send somebody here to do this. It's a lot more like Providence than a miracle. So back to our story in Acts. Last week, we heard about a couple of riots <laughs> and Paul getting arrested by a commander who cannot figure out what everyone has against this guy. And Paul busts out his Roman citizenship card <laughs> to keep from getting answers beat out of him. And now we see this commander is so confused about all of this that he calls in the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews. And we see him wanting to maintain order. It's very, very likely that this meeting was on the turf of the Sanhedrin. But it is also possible that he told the Sanhedrin, all 70 of the elders plus the high priest, to come where they were holding Paul at the Antonia Fortress instead of making Paul go to their usual meeting place, the Great Hall. It's really a matter of which manuscript and which verbiage there is 
So I'm going to explore both, probably at the Great Hall, though, just putting that out there. But the other does spark some ideas. So we see Paul addressing the council, the Sanhedrin. It says that he looked at them intently. I don't think he was trying to be dramatic. This was a group he knew well. So usually when you address the Sanhedrin, you sound like fathers, leaders, elders. But Paul says, brothers, men. Why? Because Paul was a Pharisee. And this group was made up of mostly Pharisees and some Sadducees. He was speaking to peers. There's even evidence of him not only being a Pharisee, but actually being part of the Sanhedrin. And we'll get to that later in Acts 26. But, there, but these may have been people that he had served with, people he went to school with. So the, he really was, it was like if I was gone for a while and I came back and I was like, family. But you guys were really angry at me. So he says that he lived in good conscience. Now, when he says he lived in good conscience all the days of his life, was he saying he was perfect? No, because we all know he wasn't, and he says it a lot. He, like, he, he, in that moment, he was saying he fought against his sin nature to adhere to the law, and he rigidly kept it. It's like when he was saying, he, I was the Hebrew among Hebrews in Philippians 4. But because of how he addresses the Sanhedrin, the high priest has someone slap Paul across the face. Now, before we get to the great slapping, let's talk about Ananias here. This was a new high priest than we've heard of earlier in Acts. That was Anus. This is Ananias. And no, not Ananias. It's not the one that was sent to Saul to help with his conversion. And it was also not the one uh, that, who met an unkind fate earlier in Acts. Just think of this name as like the Steve of the day. Like there's Steve, there's Stephen, there's Stephen. All of, it's Bob. Steve-O, Bob. So this high priest that we're talking about here served from 47 AD to the first Jewish revolt, which was 60, 68 to 70 AD. Now, what was significant about 70 AD? That was when the Romans burned and destroyed the temple in Jerusalem. Not a good day. Fun fact about this high priest, he was killed but not by the Romans. He was killed by the very people he represented, the Jews. Why, you may ask? Because they despised this guy. He was ultra corrupt. Jewish historians have said that he would take the tithe that was meant to be distributed among the priests and give it to himself. I will take this for me. 
And if anyone tried to stop him or call him out on this sin, he would take it upon himself to have them beat or killed. I would stop speaking up at that point. He would also use that tithe money for bribes of the Romans and wealthy Jews. So, you know, great guy. So now we're at the slapping. Paul's response to getting hit is, God's going to strike you, you whitewashed wall. Are you sitting to judge me according to the law? Yet contrary to the law, you order me to be struck? He got spicy. He got fleshy. And dare I say a little rude and snarky, as I think most of us would. Remember, this is Paul, not Jesus. Anybody here ever been hit in the face unexpectedly? Okay, some of us, right? I got hit in the face in a movement class in college. Now, my college had a few high school students at it who were doing the Running Start program. And this class, we couldn't even speak in this class after a certain point. It was all about movement and how you use your body to tell a story. And this was before the silent portion of the class. And we were supposed to be in an eight-foot circle with six feet between us, provoking each other to fight. But there was the six feet between us and somebody supposed to be right there between us in case things got really heated. So it was me and this tiny, sweet, little, uber-Christian girl who was a Running Start student. And we start saying things to each other and the mediator had backed off just a little bit because it, it was me and this sweet little girl and what were we going to do? I don't remember what I said, but we were about this far from each other when I said it. And she clocked me in the jaw. It took two guys to pull me off of her. People said I flew like Superman. I wish that there were like cell phones with cameras at that time, but this was 2001, so that wasn't a thing. But it turned me into a different person for a moment. It, it made me react in a way that I normally wouldn't. I got spicy. <laughs> so... He reacted in a way that maybe he normally wouldn't by saying, no, you. And then someone points out, um, that was the high priest. My response to saying, would you revile God's high priest? May have been something like, I'll revile all I want. And then similar to Paul, say, obviously he's not God's high priest if he's doing that. However, Paul says that he didn't know it was the high priest. There are several reasons why. Number one, he had been away for a hot minute. This is after his third missionary journey. He'd been away for about 20 years. Remember, 
There was no retinol. There was no Botox. There was, wasn't even sunscreen at the time. So these people had aged a bit. And like I said before, it's possible that this was not in the Great Hall, which would mean that they weren't sitting in their normal places and probably wouldn't have had on their fancy robes. So there's, there's one reason why he might not have known. Perhaps he was being sarcastic and said, oh, I didn't know he was the high priest, for surely the high priest wouldn't do this. Also, he couldn't see them well enough to tell who it was. It's widely accepted that Paul had eye issues. He writes the letter to Galatia, Galatians, that he's using big letters. Now, we know that's not a very long book or a long letter, so it's not, I'm writing you a long letter. It's, I am writing you big letters so I can see them. It's like the old school version of using readers. But perhaps the eye condition was from unsanitary things being in his eyes, not getting proper medical care while in prison. I mean, this was ancient times. But it also could have been from head trauma. The man had taken some beatings. So there's multiple reasons why his eyes may not have been able to focus clearly and see who was doing the commanding of the slap. So combo all of this and you can now understand why he didn't know who was who. But Paul's response was much more scriptural than mine would have been after being told that it was the high priest. He immediately owned what he had done and apologized publicly. I, he didn't say, I didn't know, it's not my fault, and here's the reasons. He said, I didn't know. And I am submitted to scripture that says I shouldn't have done that. He recognizes that he does not like or approve of the man, but he quotes the scripture about honoring the office. It is written, you should not speak evil against the ruler of your people. Fascinating, no? Paul said that about someone who was wickedly corrupt not just the leader of the area, but the leader in charge of religious affairs in his nation. How much more should we today respect the office of a mayor or a governor or a president, whether or not we like that particular individual, enough to submit to the biblical laws that we all fall under, which is to submit to them as leaders praying for their leadership. That one hit me. The next best thing to not sinning, which is never going to happen for us, so sorry, is confessing it as soon as it happens. And that's exactly what Paul did publicly. So after this, he knows the situation that he's in. He looks up, 
sees all the people, and he knows he's not going to get a fair trial. So he goes with a different approach, and I like to call this wisdom. Some others may call it being sneaky, taking advantage of the situation. However you want to call it, this is what Paul did. He outs himself as a Pharisee, which would immediately divide this group in two. See, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were two of the three main groups within Judaism at the time. The third was the Essenes, and they were a very small group down by the Dead Sea. They wrote the scrolls. They were bookworms, and they kind of hid themselves away. And to them, the world was bad. It was yucky. They were the only ones that were right. And, well, them and anyone who agreed with them. Um, and it sounds a little judgy and on the verge of being a little culty to me, but that's neither here nor there. The Pharisees and the Sadducees developed between the time of the Old Testament and the New Testament after the exile of the Jews. So there was no temple to make sacrifices in. What do we do? How do we honor God and atone for sin? Their resort was studying the law in little groups called, anybody? Synagogues. Synagogue. So the Pharisees, they were the separated ones. They wanted to go, they never wanted to go back into captivity and were of the camp we are going to obey God in every single aspect of life. And they practice every single law they could when and where it was possible. The Sadducees, they were a little bit more liberal. They were the rationalists. They didn't believe in miracles, no spirits, angels, resurrection, as we heard. They also didn't believe in the whole of the Old Testament. They kept to the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, of the Old Testament, also known as the Torah. So Paul says, I'm a Pharisee. And now the Pharisees and the Sadducees start going at it. And Paul is untouched. And the commander's throwing up his hands saying, I still don't know what they're so mad about. What, what are the charges against this dude? So then the Pharisees, scribes, stick up for Paul. And in verse 9, they are affirming the vision that he testified to before the riots, where he said the Lord Jesus appeared to him and spoke to him. And if Jesus spoke to him from heaven then it must mean he's risen from the dead, which was Paul's whole point, right? To affirm the resurrection of Jesus, which proves that everything that Jesus claimed about himself while he was on earth was true. That's great. But this group is unruly. And the commander's like, uh, Paul, we're going to get you out of here. We're going to go ahead and take you back to jail where you're safe. I still don't know what the deal is with you, so I can't let you go because there might be something. And there might be another riot, but I don't want these guys to kill you. 
So Paul is now locked up again. And he goes through that evening and then the whole next day alone with his thoughts. And I can imagine he was pretty discouraged. Maybe wrestling with some regret and some doubt. God, is that really you telling me to do this? Did I trust my own intuition instead of the Holy Spirit? Maybe going over things he'd said, going over things he hadn't said, going over all of the warnings that people had given him. All of the people along the way, I can just imagine sitting there Hearing people go, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. Paul, please don't go. Don't go. No, don't go that way. Paul, come on. Man, you know, that's bad stuff. The Holy Spirit's telling you there's bad things. Doubting himself. Possibly doubting if he could hear the Holy Spirit well or not. That's a lot of weight on someone's shoulders. He was probably in those barracks all alone, just sitting. Perhaps he was reciting scripture in his head to try and drown it out. Just as a tip to anyone, if you can't sleep at night, just start reciting your favorite scripture over and over. And if you can't think of anything, sometimes... It's just the name Jesus over and over in my head that helps me fall asleep. That's a free tip for you today. But perhaps he was reciting some scripture, trying to drown everything out. So he goes through that night and the whole next day. And then the next night, the Lord shows up. It says the Lord stood next to him. Take courage. You gave a full account of what I have done for you here. And now you're going to go to the place that you wanted to go. The place that I called you to go. Now, can you imagine how fast Paul's hope and faith would have returned? I mean, number one, Jesus is standing right next to you. I think it would be hard not to have hope and faith, you know? then for him to say, take courage, which you can also mean, cheer up, buddy. Come on. Cheer up. Um, okay. But then he says the proverbial equivalent, in my world at least, to, you're going to Disney World. <laughs> you're going to this place that you want to go, the, the place where your heart is. And by that, I don't mean, you're going to go have this magical time. It means it's going to be miserably humid until the four o'clock rainstorm, depending on the season that you're in. Your feet are going to be hamburger. You might chafe a little. And you're going to be real tired. Food's going to be expensive. Somebody might try to fight you in line. You never know. But you're going to be at the place you've been trying to get. Guys, 
This is providence. All of these normal things that are happening, you know, bringing somebody before the high council. People went before the high council a lot. The Romans being like, nah, the Jews are being crazy again. Got to go rein them in. It's a normal happening in this day and age. But God was working behind the scenes. Guys, this is providence. God saying, I've woven all of these events together so you could give a full testimony of me in Jerusalem. And now you can go do the same in Rome. It's my will that's going to get you there. Jonathan, you want to come up? So I, I know it's a, a strange love for some people, but I have a love for the book of Job, for that story, for God's redemption, and for his faith through all of the trials. And Job has a really great perspective on providence in chapter 23, verses 8 through 10. He says, behold, I go forward. But he's not there, talking about God. And backward, but I do not perceive him. On the left hand, when he is working, I do not behold him. He turns to the right hand, but I do not see him but he knows the way that I take. When he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. In other words, I may not know what God is up to, but God knows enough about me that I can trust him in where he's taking me. A friend of mine told me a story this week She'd been asking for a raise at her job. She felt it was a fair raise for everything that she was doing and everything that she wanted to do in the future. And she told her boss, they were like, ooh, we don't know about that. Okay. So she works a year. She comes back. She's like, hey, how about that raise? I think I'm worth this much. And they're like, okay, um, well, We'll talk about it at, at your, at your uh, review meeting. So she leaves to prepare for this meeting, and she's thinking, well, I'm going to quit. I don't need this place. I am worth more than this. These are all the plans I have. These are all the things that God has given me, all the skills, all the dreams, all the hopes, all the aspirations. I, I don't need this. So she goes into this meeting, and they say, okay, well, lay out what you do. Lay out what you plan to do. What, what, what do you want to bring to the table here? So she lays it all out. Oh, I forgot to say that she was praying the night before, and God said, hey, um, what are all the things that I've called you to do? Great. Now, who is it that I've called you to be? Can you be that with a raise? 
Well, yeah, God, of course I can. Can you be that without the raise if this is where I've called you? Uh, yeah. All right, as long as we have that clear. Now go to your meeting. So she's in this meeting. They ask her to lay everything out, and she does. And they go, okay, we love this but we're not going to give you this raise. Starts to kind of bubble. <laughs> a little rage. <laughs> Until they say, we are going to give you four times that much. That's providence. That's God working in the background. Saying, mm, here you go. family, we have great ideas in us and we have things that God has called us to do but our ideas are checkers and God is playing chess he has moves planned out and if we go astray a little bit he's going to rearrange things but he's the great mastermind he is the creator of the universe He's a gentleman. He's never forced anyone to accept him or his son. And he never will. But he gives us that opportunity. He's never forced anyone into his will once we accept him. He's a gentleman. He lays out opportunities in front of us and it's, it's our choice who we follow, where we follow. Sometimes I get a little road ragey. Somebody cuts me off. Somebody's going real slow in front of me. Sometimes I get mad when they're going the speed limit in front of me. Just confessing that now. But maybe sometimes God's putting somebody slow in front of you to save you from calamity or to put you in the right place at the right time so it just so happens that you get to walk into something that he has for you. So as much as I like to know what's going on and be an active participant in choices, especially in my life. I'd rather the creator of the universe and the author of perfection be the one making the moves. So, Jesus, we thank you so much for your sacrifice. We thank you for the gift of salvation, the gift of the Holy Spirit, so we can walk in the will of the Father. Thank you for being love divine, perfect peace, comfort when we need it, our guide, our hope.
praise you because you're worthy. We praise you because we are not. But we get that gift anyway. I pray that if there's anyone here who doesn't yet know you, truly know you, and the love that you have for them, that you speak to them in ways that they know it's you, that it's not them, it's not anyone's voice around them, that it is you, Lord. And that they get that opportunity to say yes, because it's never too early and it's never too late. It's always right on time when it's a decision with you. Father, we ask you to seal this word in our hearts. And we ask you to help us be aware of your providence, your chess moves in our lives every day. We ask you to go with us this week. Protect us, guide us. Prompt us to be repentant. Prompt us to be encouraging and to be your hands and feet, Lord. We praise you. We thank you for this time. In the name of your son, amen.